And that is what we are focusing on this year. What's next? We're not asking. We already know. What's next is restoration. Christ is going to return. God promised that he himself would come and save the people for himself. And he also promised that one day he would return, that he would receive them to himself for all of eternity. And on that day, God himself will judge the living and the dead. And on that day, every single one of us, every single one of us will be held accountable for our lives. What we did with our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, all of them will be judged by God. And only those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ will enjoy the blessing of the presence and the power and the light of God. And all who live separated from Him will live forever in that condition. But God has promised for those of us who believe and for those of us who live for His glory, there's a great reward. There's a great benefit. And this year, we want to understand what is that reward? What is that benefit? And how is it that we should live in light of what's next? To begin this year, we, we started talking about mapping out mapping out our future, be thinking about, okay, what does our forever look like? And so we need to map out, map out a smart start. And in order to do that, we took a minor profit. And it was so funny, the first Sunday when we began this series, and I told everybody, turn to the book of Haggai. Y'all look like cats in front of the new game. You're just like, what? But yes, we've been in the book of Haggai. And so if you've got your Bible, I hope that you do, go ahead and, and turn it with me to the book of Haggai. best way to get there is to go to Matthew and take a left. And, and you'll, you'll go past uh, Malachi and, and Zechariah, and then you'll hit Haggai. If you get Zephaniah, you've gone too far. Haggai has come, and as usual, as typical, God's perfect time. As you'll remember, God's people had disobeyed Him, the Lord, they had decided that they knew better than God, and they began to live in ways as a nation that brought about God's curse, that God brought about God's wrath. And so the nation was completely destroyed. In Jerusalem, there was no stone left on top of the other. It was completely decimated, and the people were removed from Jerusalem. They were scattered. Many of them went to Babylon. And in exile, God did not forget his people, but he did exactly what he said he was going to do, that there would be an exile for 70 years as a punishment and as also as a time for, for the land to receive its Sabbaths and also a time for God to restructure and prepare his people to perform and to accomplish his purpose. God's purpose has always been to save the people for himself, to be a blessing to the world. It's the promise he gave to Abraham. It's the promise that came through all the patriarchs. It's a promise that, that we see in every king and every prophet in the Old Testament. And so now God, as we come to the book of Haggai, has called the people back to himself. And there's three big things happening. When you read Haggai, you got to understand there are three streams that are coming together. The first one is this, Daniel is praying. In Daniel chapter 9, we see that Daniel is praying, but he's not just praying any prayer. He's praying according to the Word of God. He'd been studying the book of Jeremiah. He saw that the time had now come for God to fulfill His promise. The 70 years were coming to a completion, and so now Daniel is praying. The second thing that's happening are two crucial prophecies are being fulfilled. The first one is Jeremiah 29.10. Where, where God says to the prophet Jeremiah that after 70 years, I will call my people back to the land and get on with his kingdom plan. 
The other one is Isaiah 44, 28. Now, this, this prophecy is, is truly, all of them are truly amazing, but this one does something very, very unique. This prophecy names by name the king who would release the people to, to go back and take the land. 150 years before Cyrus signs the edict, the prophet Isaiah said, under the, under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God would raise up Cyrus, his servant, to rebuild the temple. 150 years before Cyrus signed the decree, before he was born, before they'd ever heard of the Medes, before there was any idea that this, uh, this Babylon would be overcome, God spoke this through his prophet. And so we have Daniel praying. We have Jeremiah 29.10 and Isaiah 44.28 being fulfilled. And then the decree itself. In Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we see that Cyrus has now been, been made to understand that God has a plan for his life. And we read in, in, in some of the Old Testament literature during the age, not in the Bible, that speaks of, of how uh, Cyrus was actually taught that his name was in Scripture and what he was commanded to do. And then he was thrilled. And so he released the, the people of God, the Jews, to go back to Jerusalem. But he did more than that. He actually gave them the financial resources to rebuild the temple, to do the very thing that God had said and commanded was to be done. So these people left. Not all of them. Remember this. There were tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people, Jews, who remained in Babylon. They would not give up the comforts of that land. They did not, they were not willing to repent and to remove themselves from that way of life to join God in what He was doing in the world. They had grown comfortable in the things of the world. They were not willing to turn away from them to journey to where God was at work and by grace be saved that they might be a part of God's kingdom purpose. And those who went were saved. And how we know that for certain is because the first thing they did was they built the altar. And on that altar, there was a blood sacrifice. That blood sacrifice pointed to the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that all who believed were saved the same way any of us are saved. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by looking back to the cross. They were saved by looking forward to the cross. And so these people, they came and they worshipped and they were saved. And they laid the foundation of the temple. But that was it. They had been given the money and the responsibility and the freedom and the resources to build God's kingdom by building that temple. But instead of building God's kingdom and God's temple, they built paneled houses for themselves with that money and with those resources. And they sought to build their own kingdom. And for 18 years, they lived in this sin. And then God, being gracious, raised up Haggai and Zechariah. And the message of Haggai is what we've been looking at. Haggai is basically four sermons that were preached to the people over a three or four month period. And these sermons, they cut right to the quick. I mean, these things, if you take them at face value and you receive the message that God intends for his people, my goodness, is it straightforward and direct. But what God does is he says, I want you to see what you've done, what life is like on your own. I won't bless it. And so God then calls them to a life of blessedness. And what we saw last week was that the people actually, they, they did believe. And, and so there was a blessing that was coming. And I hope that encouraged you last week. If you weren't here last week, be sure and, and, and go, go and hear that. Because God was preaching to, and is still today preaching to, a discouraged people. 
Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get discouraged? It's so easy to get discouraged. If you're not in a place of discouragement right now, it would be kind of easy and you would be tempted, as I am, often to look back at times of discouragement and say, I was being so silly. That was ridiculous. Why would I, why would I be discouraged about that? And we who have children, many times we can, we can look at our children and maybe they've had a falling out with friends or a dating relationship ended and, and we say, oh, that's just silly. That's just puppy love. Well, we got to remember, it's important to the puppy, Right? And so, as we're, as we're looking at it, let's not judge other people, because listen, we don't know what they're going through, and we don't know what reserve, what training they've had to deal with what they're going through. And make no mistake, I want you to remember this about you. Whenever you feel like you're kind of, you know, I don't know why they're discouraged, remember, in your moments of discouragement, there are people that are looking at you going, I don't know why she's discouraged. See, there's always someone who has it worse than you that's looking at you going, what's wrong with them? But here's what I know. When you're discouraged, you're discouraged. It doesn't matter if someone comes and says to you, hey, you shouldn't be discouraged. How many of you have ever had someone come to you and say, hey, you shouldn't be discouraged? You went, you're right, I shouldn't be. I think I'll just stop. Anybody ever do that? It doesn't work like that. When you're discouraged, you're discouraged. These people were discouraged. Things hadn't gone well. And so they had to repent, which is hard. They had to trust God, which is hard. They, they had to actually live in obedience to Him, which is hard. But because they did, God came and said, I'm going to bless you. And on the same day, He pointed out to them that He was going to bless them. He gave them the message we're going to look at today. So the sermon that we looked at last week, was on, this sermon that we're going to look at today, was preached on the same day as the one we saw last week. So He says, I'm going to bless you. And then He encourages them. Because, friends, it's so easy to grow, to grow weary in doing, doing good work. I, I told that to two pastors this week. I had two different men who are doing a great work for God, even though they don't think it is. And I said, friends, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't be discouraged. Which they said, oh, that just fixes everything. Don't be discouraged. That's just great. We need to hear this word today. This is a word for our life. And I, I pray that the Spirit of God gives us ears that can hear it. So we're in uh, um, Haggai, chapter 2. Uh, Levi's going to read for us. Levi, won't you come on up? And as he's coming up, let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. We're in Haggai, chapter 2. We're in the very last section. This is the last sermon in, in Haggai 2. It's beginning in verse 20 and goes through verse 23. Levi, won't you read that for us, brother? The Word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations and overthrow their chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make for you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The word of God. Thank you, Levi. If you would be seated, Levi was a stand and his sister got sick. And so he had to come in. He's like, oh, couldn't be the gospel of Mark. Had to be Haggai, right? Great job. Please understand, God has a great plan. God has a great plan. And what blows my mind about God, and the thing that I don't believe I or anyone will ever get uh, our minds around is the fact that God is sovereign over all things. Listen, not only is God sovereign over everything that's happening in this world, He's sovereign over everything that is happening in your life and mine. 
And we know the promise that God is working for good, everything, according to the purpose of those that He loves. And, and, and His purpose is right. His plan is good. And so when we, when we read a text like Jeremiah 29, 11, we understand that this has to do with God's kingdom. We understand that this has to do with particular, these exiles who are coming back. But also understand this has everything to do with our life as well. So as, I, as we look at this, remember, this is not just for those people. This is for us. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a home. Do you believe that today? It's true. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for what you're going through. Are you always going to understand it? No. Are you always going to like it? Probably not. Things are going to happen, and you're going to wonder, why is this happening? It happened to me last week. As you guys will remember, last week was the March for Life. And I had gone with five other men, and we were we were so looking forward to this, and we'd been praying for this. And, and there was a conference beforehand. We were going to hear some of the best communicators in the in the world, really, on the topic, and be inspired and encouraged to stand for the unborn, for those victims, and to love those women and those 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 fathers who who needed care and counsel and comfort and encouragement. And we were so excited, and we we got on the airplane, and, and it seemed like everything was going fine. We get to watch. In DC, we we, we we get to the we take the train, we get there, we we check into our hotel, it's about nine o'clock, and as we get checked in, the lady checks us in and then looks at us and she says, Okay, you're all checked in. Now you need to leave. And I said, Excuse me, I'm looking for Bill Wade to see what he's done wrong to get us kicked out, but he had not done anything at that point. And I I'm saying, well, what do you mean? And she said, I- I'm just telling you, you need to get out of here. There's there's a huge snowstorm coming. Have you not been watching this? I said, no, ma'am. I mean, I heard rumors, but I don't always believe weather people. And so what are you saying? And, and she said, here's the deal. She said, they're going to shut down Washington, D.C. Friday at 12 o'clock. All government employees will be sent home. There will be no public transportation. She said, when is your march? Friday at 12. She said, you need to go home. And so we went to our room and we found out she was right. We, we, we need to reschedule our flight. This was going to get crazy bad. And so I was on hold for, for almost two hours just trying to find out how we could change our flight. And finally we got a lady on and she said, oh yes, okay, there's, there's seven seats. You can have six of them. Do you want them right now? I need to get confirmation right now. Do you want these seats? That's a lot of pressure, you know? And, and so I was like, well, I, I think she said, Mr. Pettis, I'm telling you right now, these seats are going to be gone in a matter of minutes. Either you take them and you leave, or you don't take them and you stay. What's it going to be? I mean, I felt like I was on the Price is Right or something. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I want to look in the audience. And, uh, can I get a phone of It was. A, I said, we'll take them. We'll do it. We'll do it. And she said, okay, you get an email. I mean, it was like, bam, bam, get the email with all this. And so then, you know, some of the guys on the team were there, and, and we said, say, you know, guys, here's the deal. We, we can't stay. There's a huge storm. We, we rebooked our tickets. At first, some of them thought we were joking because we tend to do these kinds of things to each other, but it wasn't a joke. It was a bummer. I mean, some of the guys hadn't been to D.C. before, so we go out in the middle of the night. Some of you saw it on Twitter and Instagram. We went out and saw some of the monuments, almost got arrested. It was all good fun. It was all good. Um, but we had to get on an airplane. But even that was like, 
crazy. We got in about 2.30 in the morning. We knew that, that there were traffic problems in Washington. I don't know if you saw that, but people had spent the night apparently on the interstate because they had put salt down. So we knew we weren't going to be able to get home on the interstate, so we're going to have to take the subway, which I told those guys, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's crazy. So we're going we're gonna to need to get up at 5 so we can get on the subway at 6. So we're going on about two and a half hours of sleep. We get on the subway, we get to the airport, we show up, our flight's at 11 o'clock, and it's been canceled. And at that moment, I began to have an internal conversation with God. You ever have one of those talks like, all right, God, I wanted to stay anyway. Felt like you were leaving us here. Now what are you going to do? You know, you start to get a little attitude with God, which is wrong. So we go to the desk, and I explain to the lady, thankfully we'd gotten there early, and she said, well, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? Six people just canceled on this flight. I can get you on this flight right now. And again, I felt like I was on the prices right. Should I take it? Should I wait? We took it. We get through security, which was nuts. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, is this your plan? Is this your plan? We get to the gate, they say it's going to be delayed 15 minutes. Then it's going to be delayed 20 minutes. Then it's going to be delayed 30 minutes. They finally get us on the plane, on the bus to go to the plane, and then there's a problem with the plane. So we have to stay on the bus for a while. Then we get on the plane, and we're sitting on the bus. It's going to be 20 minutes. It's going to be 45 minutes. Oh, this plane is broken. We're going to need to get you back on the bus and go back to the terminal. I'm having a talk with God. Is this your plan? What am I missing? Are we doing this wrong? So we start thinking about getting a rental car so we can take a van, go south of the storm, try to get back home. Wade really wants to get arrested at this point, right? I mean, this is just craziness. But then we get on a plane and we come home. Why? I don't know. It was pretty this weekend. Would have been a great weekend for a pretty day in Washington, D.C. What was God's plan? I don't know. But here's what I do know. Had we stayed, we would have been stuck. And we would have missed last Sunday. And last Sunday was awesome. Those of you who are here, would you say it was awesome last I don't know what was going on, but God had something for us. If you didn't, weren't here last week, go online and listen to, to what, what was said. It was powerful. I don't know if that was it. We were supposed to be back in time. I, I don't know. But I do know, had we not left, we would have been stuck there till Tuesday. Here's what I know about some of you here right now. You feel stuck. You feel like, okay, I'm doing I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to do, but it, it doesn't seem, it's kind of like, I saw some of you guys got stuck in the storm last week, which I try not to laugh, but I have to be honest, person with a Jeep with four-wheel drive, I laugh at others. Not that I judge you, but I laugh at you. Love and peace to my heart. When you get stuck, it is, it's terrifying in some ways because you're revving the engine, you're right, and going nowhere. And that is exactly how some of you feel today. You feel like you're going as hard as you can and you're not making any progress. You feel stuck. And it's easy to get discouraged in that moment. And here's what I want to tell you. Here's the good news. God's got a plan. God's got a plan, and if, and if you will, you can join Him in it, and you can be a part of it. Now, to do that, you have to understand kind of the, the broad scope of what's going on. So write this down. Understand God's plan, the big picture plan is this, to destroy His enemies and everything that is not holy. And so you read verses 20 through 23, and you see that God is very serious when it comes to His enemies. 
Satan is his enemy. And anyone else who lives a treasonous life, please understand this theologically. Satan turned against God. And that sin has created for him a vanquished condition, position with God. And he is forever lost. There's no redemption for angels. I'm not going to get into why that is. But there are no, there's no redemption for demons and Satan. Every person who has ever sinned on this planet has committed treason against God and joined with Satan. I want you to think about what that means. There are some people that we would say are good people, but because they have sinned, have sided with Satan against God. There's only one way that we can be free from that side, free from that standing with Satan, and that is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Only Jesus Christ can set us free. And God's plan is to is to bring judgment against anything that is not holy. But his plan is to save a people for himself. And we need to be a part of that plan. And that's what our text shows us, specifically verse 23. And that's what I want to take apart this morning. I want to show you quickly what we need to be a part of, to be smart about this. As we, as we make our plans, as we deal with our lives, as we think through what's going on, and if we get discouraged, and, and probably you are or you soon will be. So what do we need to do in light of that? Write this down. We need to be smart. And first of all, be plan to be taken by God. Taken by God. And, and friends, when God comes, when God moves, don't fight Him. Surrender. Let Him take you. Look, look what it says in verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you. That word take, it means to be taken and to be brought in and a part of something bigger. So it's not just taken and just held out. It's taken and then brought in to be a part of something that, that is bigger, something better that is going on. Understand, at our best, we are like, we're like the bread that Jesus used at the Last Supper. I want to show you something. This is Matthew 26, 26. I want to show you four things that happen with this bread. I want you to understand it in light of your life. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Same concept. Took it to be a part of something bigger. Took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. At our best, we are like that love. God takes something ordinary and in his hands it becomes sacred. On your own, sinful or dirty, in the hands of God, we become sacred. And he blesses us. And then he breaks us. Why? Why the pain? Because he's our loving father. And a father disciplines his children. And a father does not tolerate sin. And so how does he, how does he bring that about? Through pain. God allows us to go through pain so that we will look to him. Remember what Nate Bailey said? Anything that causes you to pray is a blessing. Remember that from last week? And, and so when we're broken, it leads us to pray. It leads to that blessing. God takes us. He blesses us. He breaks us. And then what does he do? He gives us. He gives us to a purpose that is bigger than our own selves. 
He gives us to something that is holy and good and right and enables us to use the natural and spiritual gifts that He has bestowed upon us. The first thing God does, and one thing we need to be smart, we've got to plan for God to take us. To take us from where we are and to move us. It may not always be comfortable. It may not be always easy. As a matter of fact, expect it to be hard because it is of God and there's a darkness and an enemy that's working against them. Expect it. Then expect to be used. Write this down. Be smart and plan to be a servant of God. To be a servant of God. Look what it says in verse 23. It says to him, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. That term, servant, Abadai, it means to, to be given to a particular task. So I want you to picture what God is saying here. I'm going to take you from, from this ordinary regular whatever to be a part of something significant. And then you're to be my servant. You're to have a particular task. Now, God does not use a dirty vessel. God will only use a cleansed vessel. So we have to, there has to be an atonement. We have to be made right with God. There's so many examples of this, but one example I will share with you is, is the prophet Isaiah. It's in the time when King Uzziah's coronation, when King Uzziah died, there was a coronation, and God is ready to do something significant, and the prophet Isaiah says, here I am, send me, I'll, I will do it. But first, he had to be made right with God. This is what it says. So imagine this coronation, it's a vision that probably only Isaiah sees, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I, have, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's, he's saying, I'm a sinner. I've sinned, and, and I'm, I'm in a people group who sin. I mean, I, I'm in trouble. Why? Because I've seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen the Holy God. And whenever sin comes in contact with the Holy God, sin dies. Sin is destroyed in the presence of God. Holiness overcomes. Light destroys darkness. So he's ready. I'm, I'm destroyed. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with palms from the altar. Something from heaven comes to earth. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He is made holy. Something from heaven enters into the real world and touches him and changes him, and he receives that by grace through faith. And his sin is atoned for. That is, it is washed away. He becomes holy to God. He has a holy position before God. And before we can be used of God, we have to we have to go from being enemies of God to being children of God. We have to go from living in darkness to being in light by grace through faith in Christ alone. Our sin must be paid for. Our sin must be washed away and taken away. And we must be given the righteousness of God. If we are to serve God and serve His purpose, which is His plan, we, we have to. We, we have to be clean and atoned and purified. And so understand what God is doing. He wants to take you. He wants to make you new. 
so that you can serve His purpose. And as you do that, as we, as we, as we accomplish God's purpose, He's still at work. He's doing something. He's changing us. So write this down. Be smart and plan to be remade for God. Not only will God save you and remove your sin, He's going to transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to make you into something new. Look what it says at the last part of verse 23. And make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to make you into something usable. I'm going to make you into something that has my authority. I'm going to make you into something that is used when the message comes, that that message is sealed by you and it has the power of the name of Christ upon it. So that, so that God changes us so that when we stand in this world of darkness, this world filled with apathy and hate, and we are light and we are love, we represent our King. And He is making us in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Is that how your friends describe you? When people who know you best, do, do they describe you as a person who is being made in the image of Christ? Can they see you becoming more and more like Jesus? I have a dear friend who has a, has a work environment where he sort of stands out. And I, I talked to one of the guys he works with. I ran into him when we were talking about my friend. And he said, I'll tell you something about him. He, he, he lives at the foot of the cross. I said, what does that mean? He said, you, and he's right. This, he lives for Jesus. He said, you're right. What, what do your friends say about you? Do they say, oh, she's, she's funny. Oh, she's, she's drama queen. She... He, he's a great salesman. Oh, he, he's a great word. Oh, he's, he's a great, oh, she's a great, oh, she's a good friend. Oh, he's, do people ever say, oh, man, good student, good leader, good worker, reminds me of Jesus. God wants us to be remade in the image of his son in such a way that the people who know us best see it. They can even comment on it. This is God's plan. This is what God wants to do. God wants you and I to be His children. He doesn't want us to live in a life of trees and separated from God under His judgment. Some of you are right now. And, and I beg you today to repent and believe the gospel. Some of you have repented and you believe in Jesus. Are you a servant of the King? Are you fulfilling the purpose for which He has saved you? And are you becoming more and more like Jesus so that the people around you would notice it? For this to happen, some of you need to ask God to do a miracle today. Some of you need to say, Jesus, please forgive me and take over my life. I want to be a part of your plan. Some of you are already children of God, and you need Him to change you. Maybe it's something, something that's been a habit. Maybe it's something that's been broken a long time. You need to ask Jesus to make you whole. And then you need to ask Jesus to enable you to fulfill the purpose for which He has saved you. And hear me, it's bigger than being a mom and being a good worker and being a good friend. 
ask for those things and ask for healing that you can be healthy enough to fulfill the purpose that God's given you. Today, here's what I know, and I don't know what it is in you, but I know for me this week as I was preparing, the Holy Spirit was quite clear about things that needed to be different in me. I, I can't help but know He's probably made things quite clear with you. Is it your attitude? Is it your mouth? Is it the way you spend money or don't give? Is it the way you're not plugged in to where He wants you to be? Is fear driving your life instead of hope? I don't know. But God does, and so do you. And I want to invite you today to get on your knees and say, God, it's the last weekend of January. We're about to go into this new year. We're about to go into this whole new life from this point forward, and I want to live in life in light of what's next. So, God, I'm going to give, I want my life in your hands. I want you to take me, bless me, break me, and give me. I want you to take this ordinary life and make it sacred and do something with it. Stand with me. I want to pray that God will do it. Lord, you know the need of every person here, and you know the plan you have for every life. I pray that, that those who want can just come and, and, and bow before you and say, God, I want you. I need you. I, I need you to change this. I need you to forgive me. I need, I need healing. I need hope. Lord God, whatever is needed today, give the faith to ask it. And then, God, for your glory, bring the answer according to your will and your plan and your purpose. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.